You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. We now return you to a continuing discussion from NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine and moderated by Dr. Thomas Lee, Network President at Partners Healthcare System in Boston and an Associate Editor of the Journal. Welcome to a Perspective Roundtable from the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm Dr. Tom Lee, Network President for Partners Healthcare System and an Associate Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. My colleagues, Tom Bodenheimer from the Center for Excellence in Primary Care at the University of California, San Francisco. My colleagues from Harvard Medical School, uh, Alan Goral and Kate Treadway, and Barbara Starfield from the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. Welcome and thank you for joining. You know, the ideal of focusing on the people who have diseases, not just the diseases that people have. We all, we all know that ideal. Uh, and I think that our sense is the payment system doesn't, here does not necessarily reward that. And I want to go to the payment system next. But do you think, it, I mean, is it, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is yeah. it in the water and in the culture and the educational values? And then the payment system may just reinforce that? Or is it the other way around? The, pay, the payment system is where it begins, and that's why it's in the water. Well, unfortunately, it's the chicken and the egg cycle. It doesn't start in any one place. But the challenges are much different now than they were then, because now we do have these increasing uh, morbidity burdens that aren't this disease, plus this disease, but it's the whole constellation of diseases. And fortunately, we're really in a good position now to measure morbidity burden. That's not disease by disease care. We have systems that can say, you know, this subpopulation has got a greater morbidity burden than this population than this, and it's not because they have more heart disease and they have more rheumatic, you know, that kind of thing. And that is what we should be doing. We should be giving rewards, giving incentives, giving payment to physicians for dealing with the burden of problems they have to deal with. It's not a big trick. Um, we, we have the tools to do it. The whole chicken and egg thing also relates to how we're going to solve our problem. For a long time, primary care physicians have been angry at insurers for not paying them enough for, for all sorts of problems. It's time to stop that. The primary care practices and the insurers have to get together and there has to be a compact in which the insurer will say, if, if you do a better job, we'll pay you more. And the primary care practices have to say, we promise to do a better job, but we need to get more payment and different payment. Well, let's talk about that compact. Define doing a better job. What is the deliverable that, that we should be ready to go forward with? Number one, um, as Barbara said, a primary care practice needs to know who its patients are and needs to be responsible for those patients, and the patients need to know where their home is. Number two, there has to be prompt access. If people have a problem today, they should be able to get that problem taken care of today. And there has to be night call and weekend call so that people don't constantly go to the emergency department when they don't need to go to the emergency department. So access is absolutely critical. And then we have to make sure that our quality is good, that all the preventive and the chronic care needs and the, as Barbara was saying, the problem that the patient comes to you with is solved. All right, so we have an idea of what we, what we want as patients and what we would like to provide. How should we get paid for it? You know, Alan, you know, you've thought a lot. You've made specific proposals. Do you want to give your, your platform? Well, I think we need to pay for the things that we want. Right now, we pay for things in another way. And the things that we pay for are procedures. 
and the unit of payment for primary care doctors and those who don't do procedures was the visit. We have to come back, take responsibility for this, and redesign the system so it works mm -hmm. for society and it works for patients and it works for the profession. So I, I think the essential thing is let's stop paying for volume of visits and let's pay for desired outcomes. And those outcomes can be in three areas, maybe four. The first area would be patient access and patient-centeredness, if we want to use that term. That is, how friendly is the care for patients? How accessible is it? How personalized is it, uh, et cetera? The second area would be in quality of care, and not process. As has been pointed out by people, pay for performance is very often pay for process. And the problem is, is that the link, as you know, as an expert in this area between process and outcome is sometimes a, a leap of faith rather than an evidence-based uh, event. So we want to pay for outcomes. And the, and the kinds of outcomes medically that we're talking about are those outcomes that either are proxies for ultimate outcomes like a hemoglobin A1C or certain level of blood pressure control or, as Barbara alluded to, even functional status of the patient is a very important outcome. And the third area is in cost effectiveness or cost and quality. So what we envision is let's pay people enough to have the resources to do the job right. We look at the payment to the organization, be it a team, an individual, or a larger organization that's going to give us the deliverables. Number two, let's give them a huge incentive to do the right thing, meaning let's give them a bonus. Let's take a large part of their payment, maybe a quarter, and let's give them a bonus on top of the adequate payment to just get started and give them a payment bonus for doing the right thing. And that is not putting in 16 extra catheters and 14 extra stents, but making sure that their patient's cardiovascular health is now the best it can possibly be. Now, what that sounds like is capitation. And we had this notion of a comprehensive payment for comprehensive care. That was the 1980s concept. But it got distorted, and it got distorted in two ways. One, it was not risk-adjusted. And secondly, the only bottom line was the ultimate bottom line of cost. Did you save money? And it had another flaw. The number of dollars that was given in capitation very often was nothing more than the number of dollars in the old payment system given as a lump sum, which were too few in order to do the job right. What's your take, Kate? Just as an individual provider thinking about how I would like to be paid, I would like to be probably half of my salary to be a sort of, um, in exactly that model where I am paid for the number of patients I have, their age, and how complex they are, just as a lump sum having nothing to do with whether I ever see them. One of the issues is we get paid for visits, and yet the job of a primary care doctor is enormously uh, taken up time-wise by paperwork, completing records, doing prior authorizations, answering phone calls, talking to people, emailing people, so that I would say, since I've been in practice a long time and I have an elderly sick population, that for every hour of face-to-face -face time, I have another hour, at least, of time that I spend that's unreimbursed. So if I'm there for 13 hours, I'm getting paid for about six of the hours I'm spending. Um, so I do think that there should be a, you know, a, a substantial sort of lump of this is what you're being paid to manage these people. I do think that visits could be paid 
Um, I think one of the major issues for primary care doctors around the RVU system is it's designed for specialty care and single problems. There is nothing in the RVU system that allows you to take into the account the fact that you've just seen somebody with congestive heart failure, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, coronary disease, renal insufficiency, and diabetes. That is a far more complex set of problems. Um, I also, I think pay for performance with outcomes is very important with the following caveat. And this is, I think there has to always be a little wiggle room because I think all of us who have taken care of complex medical patients who, for example, have hemoglobin A1Cs in the nines is not necessarily because you're not trying. It's because there are social, psychosocial issues that lead this patient to I'm not taking my 60 units of NPH this morning. We somehow have to encourage medical institution, training institutions to pay for the training of primary care physicians. Right now, we're spending about 70 times more on the production of specialists than we are on the production of primary care physicians. That absolutely has to change. We are not going to change anything unless we change the ethos of medical education. Uh, and that, I mean, I think is maybe even my top thing because that's going to change the prestige, that's going to change the financing, it's going to change everything. We've just got to get on to something that can be done like that if we had the political will. I listened to you and the other comments, I was thinking uh, of three different alternatives for what might happen with payment. Uh, there's status quo, the fee-for-service system uh, by and large, where with increasing cost pressures, I think inevitably leading to payments that are increasingly inadequate for meeting practices' expenses. Elsewhere in the spectrum, there's sort of revolution and evolution. You know, a revolution would be like big drastic change in payment policies uh, uh, that, you know, it's like, like rolling out the model that you described. That would be revolutionary. And there'd be, and I would say the vast majority of practices would not be ready to handle it. Uh, and then is there something in between? Uh, an evolution that that may not happen as fast as people would like, but but it won't be as disruptive to care uh, uh, as you know a sudden dramatic change where you pay for people. Actually, there are a lot of proposals that are evolutionary. Um, so the Medicare Physician or Payment Advisory Commission they they think that number one, primary care physicians should just get more payment for each for each visit than they're getting now. Plus, they should, there, there should be some kind of care coordination fee per patient for all the time we spend in between visits, um, coordinating with the rest of the healthcare system, plus some kind of pay-for-performance system. That, that's what I think I'd call the evolutionary system. I, I'm not, I think it might help to pay primary care more, but I don't think it gets away from the fundamental visit-based problem, so I don't think it's adequate, and I, but I think it's more likely what's going to happen. I would have revolution, but in evolutionary fashion. Number one, strategy one, we fix the current primary care infrastructure cadre by giving them an incentive. If you will reorganize your practice in whatever way makes sense to get at the Starfield goals, uh, then we will now, and this would be a new kind of social contract, we will now pay you in the revolutionary manner. And if you don't change, guess what? You can get RBRVS, visit-based, maybe with a few, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, survival uh, mechanisms tossed in to keep the lights on, and you'll just muddle along, and that's the way it will happen. So that you would then, in essence, 
come up the capability mm -hmm. uh, scale, mm -hmm. and when you reach a certain level, you would then be accredited for payment under the new system. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a way of melding the evolution right. and revolution. Now, one comment about that. Barbara's right. If we don't change the medical education uh, system in the United States, we are not going to be able to meet the need. So what I would say here is that to the students coming in, is that it's very important that the revolutionary system be in place because as a student choosing a career, that is now an option for how to do things. And if that option is there, if we actually know that we have a viable alternative by coming up, training appropriately, learning about how to do teams and information technology and, and working effectively, that's what we can aspire to. The revolution is medical education. And we do have to change the incentives in medical education. I mean, I think we could dwell on this more, but I won't. But that, that's a revolution that we have to have quickly. The semi-revolution is the payment reform. And the evolution is to start thinking about how we change our own practices so that we're responding to patients' needs. Not needs as we see them, but the needs as people present them. We have to reform payment because right now what we're trying to do is a lot of practices are trying to change sort of one practice at a time. Well, there are hundreds of thousands of primary care practices in this country. To change them one at a time is going to take forever. Pa real payment reform will, will really encourage and dictate that a lot of practices are going to change quickly. However, the plus is that the, payment, that, that the practices need assistance in becoming really good primary care practices. So part of the payment reform has to be that there have to be some kind of, I'd call them practice improvement teams or practice improvement consultation to go to the practices and help them to make the changes they need. And there are people who are very good at doing that, but I think those practice improvement teams should have patience on them, because otherwise we could go wrong. Well. Um, I want to thank all the panelists. It's been an interesting discussion and Actually, one thought that ran through my mind is listening to all the changes that you're calling for and the references to evolution is, um, well, next year is the 200th birthday of Charles Darwin. And one of his comments on evolution was that the species that survive are not the strongest and they're not the most intelligent, but they're the ones that have the ability to change. And clearly, the, the changes that you're calling for are important. Uh, we'll see how nimble our healthcare system is. We wouldn't bet on the, uh, on it being extremely nimble, but uh, uh, I think we will change because I think we, we have no choice. And I think that these insights uh, will be useful to the readers and the viewers. Thank you very much. You've been listening to NEJM Audio Perspectives, provided in cooperation with the New England Journal of Medicine. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air.